Well, irony of ironies, Americans are divided on the issue of support for Israel versus support for Hamas. And you can guess where the line of division is drawn. Just think of the colors red and blue. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been going on for many years, but once again, once again, the Palestinian forces have attacked Israel, and in America, a free country, we are again divided on an issue pertaining to freedom, and there is a source of freedom that is espoused, or at least historically has been espoused by America, and that is called the Judeo-Christian ethic. So who are you siding with today? Would you side with Hamas, where women have no rights, where children are used in whatever way they may be needed, or as shields? or where tolerance is totally non-existent. If you're an American and in Palestine, they would love to behead you. What exactly is the ethic of Quran that supports that? Well, in a nutshell, human life is cheap. Or would you rather side with Israel a country that lives by a set of principles not so different than what once made America great, where human life has incredible value. This is Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve Latulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I want to talk today about the absolute goodness of the Judeo-Christian ethic. And I say absolute because, yes, there really are some moral absolutes that govern us in this world. Unfortunately, most Americans actually now have no idea just what those values are. And they must be educated on these principles if America is to survive. With that in mind, I would like to proceed. When you speak the words Judeo-Christian, we are referring to two nations that, or two uh, religions, if you will, that have a uniqueness in origin. The Judeo-Christian principle or the term was actually first used by a German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, in his book, The Antichrist, Curse on Christianity. Now, that was written way back in 1888. And it refers to a common heritage of Jews and Christians. The Judeo-Christian ethic term actually was proclaimed as a political strength by President-elect Dwight D. Eisenhower. And this resulted from a strengthening of the alliance between America and Israel after World War II, when the Jews experienced the Holocaust and support was uh, was encouraged 
by instituting the word Judeo-Christian ethic, meaning we have a commonality, we share certain things. Now, the strength of Judaism actually comes from a system of rules to live by that espouses justice for all people, and that comes from the laws of the Old Testament. The strength of Christianity is, although different from Judaism per se, it is a law of liberty guided simply by the golden rule, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. This is contrasted against all other world religions. religions. So the Judeo-Christian ethic is actually the culmination of a joyful, responsible living that ensues when a nation simply follows the ways of the one true God. Now, just to give you a little bit of background on the Judeo-Christian ethic, keep in mind that this actually is an appeal to a moral code, but it also minimizes the difference between Jews and Christians. And another possible reason for developing that term was actually the fact that Western civilization, and think about Western Europe, was actually a region that once persecuted the Jews quite harshly. Uh, the Jews and Christians uh, are different. There's no doubt about that. Um, we don't have complete solidarity on everything because solidarity would mean that the Jews would accept the New Testament or the New Covenant, and they do not. However, there was a resurgence um, in the latter part of the 1800s, when a theologian, John Darby, actually first introduced the concept of dispensationalism. This is what now in our present time has given rise to the eschatological wars, the wars about the end times. This is something that many Christians disagree on very, very harshly. But John Darby actually popularized the notion that the Jews would rebuild the temple of, in Jerusalem. And I would suggest that probably the great majority of Christians today would believe that. So there was a motivation for a strong American-Israeli alliance, and therefore the Judeo-Christian principle and that term was resurrected uh, again uh, once John Darby introduced his theology. Israel, uh, however, uh, is a very strong ally of America because it is a focus on the moral code with, uh, which is derived from the Old Testament, and therefore that includes Christianity because we do not reject the Old Testament. We, of course, incorporate the Old Testament principles into our daily living as Christians, and we find the New Testament to be uh, simply a fulfillment of the Old Testament, and so we do not reject it. So we have a great commonality in our moral standards when we compare the United States of America or any Christian uh, nation uh, with Israel. So being an ally with Israel should not at all be a difficult thing or something that is controversial. We have great similarities with respect to the value 
uh, of, of life and of principles that we live by. So while the term Judeo-Christian ethic actually may be a modern uh, term, uh, the moral code that is established by both Jews and Christians actually dates back to the time of Moses, around 1500 BC, when Moses was given the Ten Commandments. And that is the point of the Judeo-Christian ethic. So we would be very uh, just as well served by, by calling it uh, perhaps the Christian ethic, because the uh, Ten Commandments have been fulfilled uh, the Lord says in one word that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor as ourself. And on those two laws uh, are all the law and the prophets fulfilled. It's a very simple way of summarizing what we believe. And if we live by that code, then we seem to prosper. So the Judeo-Christian ethic uh, would be sort of defined as a set of rules to live by that if followed will actually yield a peaceful, ordered, lawful, and prosperous society. And there are several variations. If you were to do a Google search on the Judeo-Christian ethic, you might come up with three, four principles or a number of principles. And um, it's not that they are hard set in stone, as are, say, the Ten Commandments, but the set of values uh, is easily defined, and it begins with simply a respect for human life. So despite the several variations and the slight uh, difference in content, each of the, the values that you might see associated with the Judeo-Christian ethic um, will list core principles that actually define the will of God for his people. And so it is a moral code. It is a set of principles to live by. And it pertains not only to the Jews or to the Christians, but to the entire world. It pertains to how we interact with the strangers in our land and with foreigners. And again, it's a principle that respects everyone because who is my neighbor? Everyone is my neighbor. When I decided to talk about the principles, I uh, did review several sources and I would have to conclude that in the American Patriots Bible, um, the editor of that Bible actually does a fabulous job of listing the seven uh, principles of the Judeo-Christian ethic. And so I thought, since that has been written and it was well summarized, I thought I would just discuss these seven principles and help us to establish just exactly what it is that we as Americans have historically believed for many years since our origin and even before that. Now, why is this so important? Because simply, if we live by those principles, we will prosper. And if we reject those principles, we will perish. So to make it clear, I am citing the seven principles of the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic as 
um, described by Dr. Richard Lee, who is the editor of the American Patriot Bible. And principle number one is the dignity of human life. Human life is created by God originally, and we as human beings have an inalienable right that is actually declared by God. That means that we have respect for every other human being on the planet, and that respect begins when life begins. And let me tell you as a physician that Human life does not begin with a heartbeat, but human life actually biologically begins from conception and it continues all the way through to the grave. So this obviously negates abortion. We are seeing a great resurgence of a, a push to protect innocent human life, particularly in the womb, and abortion is wrong and abortion at any gestational age that is in the development within the uterus uh, results in the death of an innocent human life. And the same can be said on the opposite end of the spectrum when the elderly human being is frail and is no longer productive in life Depending on your ethic, you might consider that person to be of no value, worthless because that person is not capable of holding his own and paying for his own way. And so he becomes dependent on someone else for, uh, for his life, for his vitality. But God says that the dignity of human life begins at conception when he formed us or fashioned us in the womb and it continues all the way through the geriatric years until we breathe our last that is quite unique to the judeo-christian ethic we have in our constitution the words life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and this as i said earlier does not apply just for us as americans or for us as a christian nation but for all the world so if we are looking out for our neighbor and loving our neighbor as ourselves then we would be interested in their achieving some prosperity and peace and happiness as well. This does not mean that there is no such thing as a just war. There is a time to kill. We are told that in chapter three of Ecclesiastes, which is in the Old Testament. There is a time to kill because we are living in, living in a fallen world and things don't always go the way we would like because not everyone shares our values. Also, we could take up the concept of capital fun punishment, and this also would be excluded, although it does not negate the dignity of human life. The Bible teaches us that there is sin which leads to death, and sometimes making the wrong choices can result in death. And let it be very clearly stated, the Old Testament and the New Testament actually support capital punishment. But 
it, we still hold on to the dignity of all life. And that is the basis for principle number one, the dignity of human life. This is in stark contrast to the rest of the world. Whatever religion you might want to espouse, it just does not correlate uh, with the Judeo-Christian ethic of human life being sacred, holy, set apart because we were created in the image of God. And that makes all the difference in the world. And to clarify another point, particularly as it pertains to abortion or infanticide or geriatricide the, or euthanasia, the killing uh, of people because they have served their purpose, um, we are told very clearly in the uh, Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. Now, by definition, murder is the taking away of innocent human life. And so uh, it is clearly a principle that abortion is murder. It is the taking of the most innocent human life possible. When someone is not even born, how could they have committed any crime or sin or done any evil? It is impossible. The dignity of human life must prevail always. It is the ruling principle in the Judeo-Christian ethic. Principle number two is the traditional monogamous family. In the beginning, if you remember in the Bible, we are told that God created them male and female. That's in Genesis 1.27. So the sexes were created by God. Sexuality is a creation product of God. And only the sexual union between a male and a female results in the creation of new life. And that new life is, by the way, another male or another female. All other sexual expression actually fails to produce new life. I, I mean, this is so fundamental, but in our day and age, uh, it seems like that has to be stead, stated. Um, it is called, uh, if, if you deviate from that, obviously you cannot produce human life. If you deviate from that as far as sexual behavior, then the Bible calls that perversion. And that is in the Judeo-Christian ethic. And if you find that offensive, I would suggest to you, maybe you need to get over it because I might be offended and I am offended by your perversion. As a physician, I can tell you with confidence that the female genitalia were designed to accommodate the male genitalia. The rectum was not. So uh, call it what you will, but I will call it what God calls it. And he says that it is perversion. And so the second principle of the traditional monogamous family, meaning one man getting together with one woman and staying together for life is the ideal situation. And it is by God's design that he intended there be a man joined together with a wife. All else is sin. All else is perversion. 
Does that mean we hate everyone who uh, deviates? No, but I would call it sin as I would call anything sin, such as stealing or killing or cheating. Um, we have to be able and willing to call sin sin if we are going to abide by the Judeo-Christian ethic. And I have to tell you, I did obstetrics for years, and I never delivered anything but a male or a female. Does that make me homophobic? No, I am just simply calling sin what it is. See, I do have a problem with gay pride. If you were a kleptomaniac, which is a, a thief who can't help but stealing things, grabbing things, would you be proud of that? No, I would hope not. If I was anything, doing anything, say, that opposes any of the Ten Commandments, I would not call it uh, murder pride. I would not call it theft pride. And to have such a thing as gay pride when you are rebelling against the design of God, um, that is arrogance. And yes, I would agree it is pride but pride goes before a fall and it is rebellion against God's design. And that is nothing to be proud of. You see, there's a purpose for everything that God designed. And in the family, there is an order that was instituted by God. When he created man, he created man to actually be the head of a family. But men, before you become prideful, realize that we are told to be the head servant. Woman is the nurturer, the nurturer of children. And children are to be lovingly disciplined and taught family values. And the traditional family is the backbone of any nation. If you have strong families, you will naturally have a strong nation. But if the traditional family goes away, look what happens. We have seen it in America. We are watching it erode. In fact, much psychiatric illness actually derives directly from dysfunctional families. I saw this throughout all the years of my medical practice. If there was any kind of a psychiatric problem that had its origin in childhood, it, it would result from dysfunctional parents. Something went wrong and there were consequences because of that. The family that actually spends time interacting meaningfully, pleasantly, eating together, sharing thoughts together, gathering together for, for cookouts and going to the beach, going camping, doing their thing as a family, even putting aside the electronics, the television, uh, that tends to build bonds. It forms a loving body, and that is the power of the family. There is such a strengthening of the human soul when we follow God's design for the family, everything else results in harm. And we have to accept that fact. This is the second Judeo-Christian principle. Now, the third principle is pertaining to a national work ethic. You've heard that hard work 
inspires greatness. It is good for the soul. But undeserved handouts, as we're seeing all the time now from our government, does nothing more than breeds laziness. Look at the pandemic response. Look at the handout of money. I know uh, for a fact in my practice, one businessman who had a flourishing uh, business, and I will not identify him in any way, but he confided in me that he got $8 million from this pandemic response. And he laughed. He said, I didn't need it. My business has been booming even because of that. And he never requested money, but he got $8 million. Now, I, as a physician struggling because of the pandemic, as so many physicians have, I believe I got something like $250, and I did not ask for that. But it's interesting that undeserved handouts uh, do not yield anything good. So we are seeing that very thing when people don't want to go back to work because they are making more money uh, on unemployment from the government than if they were to return to work and actually be functional and live by a national work ethic. What happens to these people who receive all the freebies is that they develop a sense of entitlement. All of a sudden, they think that they deserve this. And then they get very comfortable with living at home and avoiding all work and avoiding responsibility. And then what you have eventually is 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, and 50-year-olds and older wanting to stay at home so that they don't have to be productive. They don't have to work. They will live off of someone else's goodness. And that is unhealthy for the body, mind, and soul. This is such an abiding principle that in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, we read, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, that is a reference to the lazy person who simply chooses not to work, but wishes to live uh, from the benefit of others' hard work. This work ethic is one of the most important lessons that a parent can teach their children. I don't care what natural talent your children have. It doesn't matter if they are genius. If you are not teaching your children how to do hard labor, actual physical work, you are handicapping that child because you never know when you might actually have to fall back on that. I recall that before I went to medical school for a period of time, I actually worked as a pipe fitter and I'm not a real big guy, but I was working with some big guys. Uh, when you do pipe fitting, that's installing, I was installing fire sprinkler systems and um, it was pure grueling physical work. And I got in great shape and I have to tell you, I absolutely love physical work. So it didn't bother me. But um, when I had applied to medical school about that time, I realized, wow, these, uh, these people that have to do this kind of physical labor break down. And what I did before I went to medical school is actually built a trophy 
um, out of pipe fitting parts uh, topped off with a sprinkler head. And I reminded myself that I have definitely worked hard in my life physically and otherwise. And I wanted to remember that as I go through my medical training, and it actually served me well in ways that I still do not fully comprehend. But realize one thing, the Judeo-Christian ethic of a nat national work ethic, uh, a, a, um, an importance of actually doing physical work and striving to earn your way is a principle of freedom. Communism defies this very principle. If you get people dependent on the government, then you own them. And look what is happening in America now. This is pathetic. This is devastating to our country. And you can see the benefit of the Judeo-Christian ethic at work in our lives. And as we put that ethic aside, you see the destructiveness and the harm that results. This is UNT Without Compromise on America Out Loud Talk Radio with Steve LaTulip. We're going to take a little break and return to the principles of the Judeo-Christian ethic in just a minute. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets. America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Welcome back to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I've been talking today about the Judeo-Christian ethic 
and particularly uh, the origin, the uniqueness, and the power of this ethic as it has influenced the United States of America throughout its history. I mentioned principle number one, the dignity of human life, which is crucial. It is the chief principle that distinguishes Christianity and Judaism from every other religion in the world. Principle number two pertains to the traditional monogamous family, which is the backbone of any free nation. And principle number three, a national work ethic. This is what actually gets the work done in building a country, making it prosperous, making it mentally and physically strong. Principle number four is the right to a God-centered education. Now think about the implications of this fact. In Proverbs 1.7, we are told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, fathers are instructed to not provoke their children to anger, but, quote, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is what a God-centered education is about. That is where a God-centered education begins in the Bible. Most people are not aware that most of America's first universities were founded by Christian preachers and funded by churches. In fact, there is an incredible quote from the American Patriots Bible under principle number four, and it is so profound that I have to read this to you. It says, did you know that the most that most of America's oldest universities, such as Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and Dartmouth, were founded by Christian preachers or churches? Harvard University, founded in 1636, adopted, quote, rules and precepts, which started, quote, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well, the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Harvard's original seal has upon it these words, truth for Christ and the church. That's Harvard University. Have you looked at the principles of Harvard or any of these universities now, the Ivy League schools? They are flaming liberal camps. They have anything but a God-centered education at work on those university, uh, university fields. No matter what you study, God has been removed and there is a price that we are paying. We must understand that the principle of a right to a God-centered education is a preparation for success in any field, any career that one would choose to pursue. And that is because knowledge actually comes from God, and the application of that knowledge is godly wisdom. The right to education, by the way, always, always begins in the home.
I always think back to a movie called Ray, a movie about Ray Charles. I tend to watch that movie pretty often because, believe it or not, my favorite genre of medicine is actually R&B, rhythm and blues. And that, uh, even combined with the gospel, is actually what gave Ray Charles Robinson his start in music. And Ray Charles, even though he went blind, I believe, at seven years old, um, he was blessed to have not an absent father, but a very, very wise mother. His mother, Aretha, Aretha actually... Uh, gave him some principles to live by. And that I believe is what led to his success. She uh, told him um, that being blind was no excuse for anything. She says, y'all got to learn to read and write real good. So you never have to work for people like that. And Aretha was actually doing the most humble work, perhaps, that anyone can do at that time, just trying to put money on the table to feed her children. And she says, ain't nothing free in this world but Jesus. And you need an education in this world. And she told Ray in that movie, promise me, promise me you'll never let nobody turn you into no cripple. You won't become no charity case. You'll stand on your own two feet. Now, that is some home education in Christian, Christian principles that set the stage for success for Ray Charles. A Christian-centered, God-centered education is crucial to success in anything you do. And of course, we would have to define success. And I'm talking about success according to God's ways, because it doesn't necessarily mean that your success comes from the ways of the world, as in stepping on anybody you like and uh, bowling over anyone so that you can gain a stride ahead of them. It doesn't require taking advantage of any other person but it requires you standing on your own two feet. How many charity cases do we have now? It's become epidemic. Principle number four, the right to a God-centered education. Parents, please heed this principle. You will bless your children if you do. Principle number five is the Abrahamic covenant. A covenant is a sort of contract between two parties, and if uh, the parties mutually agree and fulfill the contract, then good things, that is the outcome of the covenant, will result. A long time ago, Abraham was in covenant with God when God told him that if you follow God and obey his laws and commandments, then God would bless Abraham and the generations of his offspring many, many years later. And that extended to beyond all of the Jews, the Israelites, but to the entire world who would come into covenant based on God's covenant with Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant simply says do things God's way and flourish. Otherwise, 
suffer the consequences. Now, we observe this principle at work everywhere in the world. Just look around, look at the nations. Based on a, a simple faith that God, who created us, knows what is best for us, determines how we should act. If you want to enjoy peace and prosperity in your country, in your home, in your family, and in your personal life, in your own mind, then do things God's way. Because it is only common sense that the God who created us knows what is best for us. The corollary to that statement is that anytime you or I reject what God says is best for us, we pay a price. So if you decide to divorce your wife or your husband because uh, we have irreconcilable differences, well, that happens in people's lives. It happened in my life previously. And I can tell you, even though it may not have been my choice, I paid a price. My children from that marriage paid a price. You see, when we reject God's best, we always pay a price. And that is the principle of the Abrahamic covenant. It is simply this, do things God's way and flourish. And that's what America did. But reject it and be ready for hardship, be ready for suffering. Because when you reject God, you will experience a living hell on earth, as we see in so many godless countries across the globe in this present day. Principle number six is common decency. As I said in the past, America was absolutely a profoundly great nation simply because we were a good nation and the good was based on God's standard. We have so many times as an American nation come to the rescue of other countries that experience cataclysmic events uh, from, uh, from governments overthrowing them, from natural disasters, from anything that could cause harm, America was there when they were hurting. So many times historically, when the need arose, America was a good steward of what God had given us because we have so much in the way of resources that we could and did reach out to other countries to help them simply because it was the right thing to do. We, the American people, like to root for the underdog, for the one who's trying hard but not quite succeeding. We like to give them a hand. This principle of common decency actually covers the last six commandments of the Ten Commandments, these include honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet, don't covet your neighbor's things, your neighbor's wife, just simply love your neighbor as yourself. That is common decency. Now, I see this principle um, 
in many places that uh, when I traveled uh, across the, the globe, uh, I saw many people that knew about common decency and were just basically good people who would give you a hand if you were struggling. But there are many other people who would just as well take advantage of you and trample you underfoot. And when I think about that, I think about how do we as Christians and as conservatives deal with our liberal uh, leftist friends? Do we treat them with respect? Um, because we should. But we should also hold them accountable. But common decency means that you accept them as a fellow human being, giving them inherent value simply because they are a fellow human being. We should be gracious and we should be patient with all people, but we should not compromise our own values. Common decency means show people the respect and the courtesy and the goodness that you would like to receive yourself. Principle number seven states our personal accountability to God. We are responsible for our actions. Now, I have to confess that I have many times uh, spouted my anger in saying that unaccountability seems now to be the American way do something uh, wrong. And if you do not pay a price for the wrong that you did, then the chance of you wanting to do it again goes up significantly. But the fact remains, no matter what your beliefs are, no matter who you are, every single one of us will all stand before the living God one day and give an account for our thoughts, for our beliefs and our actions every last one of us. And remember, there are acts of commission, things that we do that are wrong, but there are also acts of omission, things that we should have done but didn't. We must remember the words of Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. And that is where our personal accountability comes from. That's what makes us do the right thing, even when we feel weak and don't really want to do it. We know that there will be a day of reckoning. This does not pertain, by the way, to a works salvation, but an account of what's in our hearts. Humility, submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is not, by the way, a Judeo-Christian principle, but only Christian. But the Judeo-Christian ethic states that we are accountable to the one true God, to our creator and our redeemer. I look around and I see so many people who are now living in fear. This uh, coronavirus pandemic has brought out the worst in us. And I would say the worst definitely derives from a fear for our own skins, for our own health, such a fear that we blindly follow anything. But 
our personal accountability to God should actually be our greatest fear, a fear of a judgment that is coming. And our also, it would, I would also say that it should be our greatest consolation. If we are at least striving to live a righteous life by applying Judeo-Christian principles, it doesn't mean we have to do it personally or perfectly, um, but it does mean that we should submit to the Lord. If we call him Lord, that means that he is Lord of our lives and guides our actions. Serving the Lord, being accountable to the Lord should be our greatest fear. All those who mock God will be judged. Our judicial system, and there is much compromise in it, they who judge us will be judged. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and other true racists will be judged. Corrupt politicians, anarchists like George Soros and company, self-seeking opportunists will all be judged. And that may be our consolation, and it may be our only consolation. See, you and I will be judged. And if that is your greatest fear, then perhaps you don't understand a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If it is your greatest consolation, then you're in good hands. And that is why the Christian ethic counts. Knowing God counts. The Judeo-Christian ethic, and you can call it what you want, it could just as easily be called a Christian ethic. It is a way of life that can promote the success of every nation, not just America. If we continue, however, to drift away from God, then our fate is sealed. All the king's horses and all the king's men will never put America back together again if we put aside those principles upon which our country is founded. And only we, the people, we, the Christian people, who choose to follow the God of the Bible can do that. End of story. So it's been said, all I really need to know about life, I learned in kindergarten. But have you noticed how kindergarten has changed drastically? And now the quote should be everything I didn't need to know about life I learned in kindergarten. These kindergartners are being taught sexual perversion. They are being taught that following a government that will take care of them and feed them and clothe them and they don't have to do anything to earn it or to deserve it. Uh, that's okay. That's what they are learning in kindergarten. They don't learn about God. They don't learn about loyalty to the red, white, and blue. They don't learn about the common courtesies that make daily living so bearable. They understand nothing about common decency. Etiquette is no longer taught either in kindergarten or throughout grade school or high school or the colleges and universities. Remember, it is the duty of parents to teach their children Christian values, and those values do come from the Bible. Everyone has a duty to spread a little love, give a little kindness, make the world a little better, because we dare 
to care. And that is the Judeo-Christian ethic. Everything we need to know about life comes from the Bible. We must understand one thing, that the survival of America as we know it rests in the preservation of its biblical mores. If this nation does repent from its foolishness, if it turns away from fearing the government, fearing the evildoers, and returns to fearing God, then we can easily restore America. If we as a nation stop doing what is right in our own eyes and start doing what is right in God's eyes, America will regain its power and its goodness. We are capable of turning around every evil that we have seen in America in the past several decades. It can be done, but it takes you and I to stand up for the Judeo-Christian ethic, for the values of God, not only to say them, but to understand them, to ingrain them in our minds, and to make them a part of our every day living. Because when America is good again, then and only then will America be great again. And if we choose to reject that, then we will continue on the landslide that we are on. And as sure as the sun rises each morning, we will fall. If you have never thought deeply about the Judeo-Christian ethic before, I'm asking you to please do that now. What we need more than ever in our country is a call to action, and we must act in the proper way. And action begins with knowledge because apply, applying knowledge in the right way is doing the right thing and being wise. And if you do not know the roots of the Judeo-Christian ethic, I would beg you to please open your Bible and just start reading the Bible. It will be astounding how it transforms your life, just as it is mine, just as it does everyone who reads it. What we need now is people to act. We need Christians to persevere, to take up the baton and say, I'm going to make a difference in my part of the world. As I look around me more than even six months ago, I am seeing a newfound impetus, a drive to return to the things that made America strong and made America good. And that should always begin with prayer to the one true God of the universe. It should then follow with action, with doing the right thing, with participating in issues that will determine the fate of America. If we can do that, then we will have success as a nation, and you will actually be an active part of the American success story. If we can all do our part, then America will be great again. So, I don't know what side of the fence you're on, if you are for Hamas or if you are for the Jews. Uh, Israel is a nation that has been an ally of America for many years. We share much in common. 
if you, there's any doubt about which side you would like to be on, think about packing your bags and taking a little vacation. Would you prefer to go on a tour of the Holy Land and visit Jerusalem? Or would you rather go and visit with the Hamas and have tea with them? Would you like to discuss politics with Israel or with the Palestinian forces? What do you think the outcome would be of a little trip to one or the other country? Please understand that I am not against any people because of race or culture. That is anti-Christian. That is against every principle of God. But if we are to live by a set of principles, by a set of rules that were instituted and founded by God, then we have to take a stand. And the choices that we make are going to be the choices that we live with. I, for one, will do everything I can to help America to survive and not just to survive, but to thrive. And the Judeo-Christian ethic is the only way to accomplish that. Well, I hope that you've been inspired today to make the Judeo-Christian ethic or the Christian ethic a force for good in your own personal life and in your family life. You have definitely been given one life to live as you choose, and that is called free will. I hope that you will choose wisely. I hope that you will live with passion. Please read your Bible daily and learn from it. In so doing, your life will become a tremendous gift to others and a most precious gift back to God. This is Unity Without Compromise with your host, Steve LaTulip, on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Next week, I would like to challenge your thinking as we further pursue unity among Christians and patriots. In the meantime, I do hope and pray you will speak boldly and speak truthfully and take action. May God empower you. Adieu.